Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. This morning, I want to talk to you about the generous heart of God in us. That generous heart of God in us. Now, it's amazing because we really, in the, how many years we've been around? Four years? In the four years, four years, my gosh, that we have existed as a church, I've never actually talked about generosity or about giving. Either one of those two things. Not because we don't believe in it, and not because we just don't like the way everybody else does it, but very specifically early on, God told us, I want you to teach people how to hear my voice and do what I say. Hear my voice, do what I say. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Specifically, there's two things God told me in the first couple of weeks of this church. You're laughing now. You would sit on the front row, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll tell you that story later. <laughs> the last time I tried to teach on this. Um, Sorry, inside joke. We'll get to it later. Inside jokes work great from the pulpit if you're ever trying to figure that out because nobody understands them. Get back on track, Clayton. Two things God told me is don't do head counts. Like, don't count how many people are there. And I don't want you to teach on giving. In fact, I don't even want you to collect an offering. And I was like, all right, cool. Would you let me know when we, if and when you want us to do those things? And he hasn't. And so the funny thing is, like, I know you think that everybody just, like, gives us the building for free and, and money just falls from heaven. And, but actually, the church operates on the presence of God, but on money as well. So there are some things that come with running a church that require money. Does that shock you? Like, paying your electric bill requires money, paying your mortgage requires money. But God said not to talk about it, and so we didn't. But the funny thing happened is we really made sure that we did do the thing God told us to do, and that is teach people to hear my voice and teach people to obey what I tell them to do. And so here we are. We're like, all right, God, then we'll trust you for the finances that's required for the church, but we're not going to talk about it. And so as we began to do that, God started speaking to some families in our church, and they're like, so where do we give? And I was like, ah, oh, that'll come later. Don't worry about it. We're not, we're not focusing on that. And they're like, all right, next week. So how, how do we give? And I'm like, ah, oh, don't worry. And the Lord's going, hello. I told you, teach them to hear my voice. I'm telling them to give, and you're saying, no, don't do that thing. And so finally, it forced us to incorporate much earlier than we wanted to, just so you're not writing. I mean, people are writing out Clayton Ritter, here's my tithe. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Can we incorporate, set this up, make ourselves a 501c3, have a board, have all the structure that we need to make sure we're doing it in a way that isn't just doing the right thing, but is actually with some accountability. And, and so that's kind of how the church began. And still to this day, I've I'm not really taught on this, and I'll tell you the thing. So this one Sunday, I felt like, all right, God's given me some revelation. And the other thing is, sometimes the, the church has had so much of a, a focus and hang-up on it that it becomes a little bit larger of a focus than it needs to have. 
And so I felt like I got a download from God because even though I've grown up um, in a very generous family towards the house of God, I, it has been modeled for me all of my life. And, and, uh, and I've been a giver all of my life. I'm like, I still want to go back and let God speak to me again. I don't want just want to assume that everything I've done has been the right way. I want God to speak afresh. I got a download, and I was like, okay, this is the Sunday. I prepared this message. Here we go. And uh, I start into like my first point, and Sam's back there in the back, and Sam raises his hand. And I'm like, oh, great. And I'm like, I don't know if he's... So I just kind of ignored it for a little bit, and I could see Kim, like, they're talking back and forth, and he's like, I said, all right, Sam, do you have a question? These are early days of our church, and Sam goes, well, it's not a question, it's actually more of a statement. I'm like, oh, here we go. The one time we talk about giving, I know Sam, I know he's not, you know, going to come up here and rebuke me, but a statement, I said, I should give context to this, shouldn't I? I told the church prior to this that I got a prophetic word that someone in our church was going to get healed of MS. I said, would you pray? Because I'm just looking for who that person is. And that was it. It had nothing to do with my message. And then I start. And then Sam raised his hand. Because I got a bit of a statement. I said, yeah. He goes, I have MS. And I went, wow. All right. Well, pause. Hey, come on up. Let's pray. Sam comes to the front, and without me asking, there's 15 people that are already at the front because they know what's about to happen, and they're ready to pray for Sam, and they're praying for Sam, and uh, the power of God is moving, and the clock is ticking, (laughs) and I'm like, I know how much time this message is going to take. And everybody's got a word for Sam right now. (laughs) We don't have short-winded prayers here. It's all good, God, but, you know. And it's just going on, and it's going on. And and, uh, finally, I'm down to like 15 minutes, and I'm like, look, I can cut some stuff out, but this ain't no 15-minute message. And then Sam goes back to his seat, and the Lord goes, you're not going to preach this message. I'm like, okay, did you have something else in mind? Now would be a good time for another quick download. Like, that's when you pray for the matrix moment, you know, where somebody in heaven is like, and you're like, oh, cool, here we go. Turn to Psalms 133, you know. And, and, but there, there was none of that. And he said, that's your message. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit. Sorry. We're a crying church too. No, no, no apologies. I felt them go, well done, son. See, you can't teach people to hear his voice and do what he says if you're not doing it yourself. And uh, that's not to brag on me, trust me. <laughs> Because everything in my flesh was like, mm, a lot of hours that went into this, God. <laughs> and uh, a funny thing happened. Our giving increased. I'm like, but God, I've never talked about this. 
I've never taught people the biblical stuff on this. He goes, yeah, I know. Isn't this cool? So last year during COVID, when many of you lost your jobs, when churches were closing their doors, when all the fear of what is to come was causing people to withdraw and bring everything in closer and tighter, bring my family in, bring my finances in, our finances doubled last year from the year before of what's come in. And I'm just going, God, this is insane. I'm sitting with our board, and we're laughing, looking at this, going, only God can do this. And uh, it's allowed us to do some of the things that God put in our hearts. We, we have some pretty, I don't know if strict is the right word, Dave. Dave is our treasurer, by the way, if you're trying to figure out. I don't sign checks around here. He does. And so I don't control our finances. Romy doesn't control our finances. We're actually set up as a 501c3 with a proper board that makes decisions on all those things. Uh, if you've got any questions about that stuff, talk to him. Um, and we're happy to answer any question you have because um, we want to be accountable with that stuff. Uh, but we set some pretty strict protocols on, on how we spend and how we save. And, and uh for instance, we, we only budget to spend 90% of what we made the year before made was, came in. Does that make sense? So normally, you budget for growth. Like we grew 10%, so let's budget to bring in 10% next year, but we budget 90%. Does that make sense? So that means that we're not already spending money we don't have, and everything that comes in over and above that just goes towards ministry initiatives that we have in the future. And so we've been able to put some money away. My hope and prayer is that one day we'll be able to come to you guys, we're not there yet, and go, hey, we got money for a building, let's go get one. But there's, there's, there's reasons for that. There's, there's, what, there's methods that we're using to get there. So no, one of the main reasons we haven't talked about giving at Seashore is because we haven't needed to. But I really felt in my heart that it's time to start teaching about God's generous heart in us. <laughs> and for some of you, I know you're like, oh, here it comes. We were waiting for this moment. No, you're not. I know you're not. I, I think sometimes the reason, and maybe this has been a wrong reason to me that we haven't taught on this, is because there's been so many bad examples of it. And I guess the bad example of it happens is when it becomes a major focus of what church is all about. Do you know what I want to make a major focus for us? Whatever Jesus made a major focus. So in that first year, I went and I, I had a spreadsheet. I developed a spreadsheet. And I went through every gospel and everything recorded in the gospel that Jesus talked about. Number one was the kingdom. Number two was salvation. Number three was relationships amongst each other. Isn't that funny? So Jesus says, seek the kingdom first and all these things will be added unto you he said the greatest commandment is to love the lord god with all your heart mind strength and the second greatest commandment is like the first love your neighbor as yourself and yet as i went through the spreadsheet shocking those were the top three topics in that order that he talked about and i think money was number 12 how many of you ever heard that jesus talked more about money than anything else in the bible it's wrong but if money is in your heart, then you'll find a money application everything else Jesus talked about. 
Jesus talked about the kingdom, he talked about loving God, and he talked about loving others. So I think the bad example of that kind of creates this focus on something that wasn't a focus on Jesus. So we have focused on kingdom. We have focused on learning how to love God, and we focused on learning how to love each other. Rummy and I are going to be starting a series, actually our churches, there will be more people speaking on this, on worship. We're going to be starting to talk about worship. And I want you to hear this from me, okay? God isn't seeking givers. God is seeking worshipers. God is seeking those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Giving is a part of our worship, but it's the worship that God desires, not our money. God doesn't need our money. It's our, his, it's, it's our worship is what He's actually looking for. But when our focus is just on the giving element of it, you can be a giver and miss worship. Jesus tells this story. I'm not going to read this story. But He tells this, this parable about a, a, uh, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, who does all these righteous things, and he ties, he gives a tenth of his money, but yet he's not a worshiper. And he talks about a tax collector who falls on his knees at the altar and says, God, I'm a sinner, and he has got a repentant heart. And God is saying, you need to be more like a tax collector who rips people off, but has a repentant heart of what he's done than the person who just gives 10% of their money, but their heart is actually far from me. You can look that up later. I shouldn't have given you a scripture I didn't have written down in my notes. But giving is a means of worship. I do want to share this story with you in Matthew chapter 19. This might be a familiar scripture with you guys. I'm giving them time to get up there. Great. This is a story Jesus told. Not a story he told, sorry. This actually happened to him. But it says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can picture Jesus going through a checklist. And really, probably in a word of knowledge moment, he is reading the checklist that's on this rich young ruler's mind. Done that, got it, done that, got it. He's familiar with the Ten Commandments. Most people were. He knows what was on the list. And Jesus is going through the list that's probably in this guy's heart. And he's getting excited. He's like, yep. Yep, I'm doing pretty good. Three for three, four for four, five for five. Like he's doing great. He goes, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I don't think he had one then, but can you picture him like, Give everything I, I have. Hang on. Can you give me chapter and verse on that? Because I, 
Is that like an 11th commandment? Because I don't remember that anywhere in the scripture that we're supposed to give up. <laughs> I heard a tenth was a rumor. I heard that somewhere. But give everything I have. What? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked him, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for My sake will receive a hundred times as much and will enter eternal life. For many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first." Here's how this scripture gets misinterpreted. In order for you to enter the kingdom, you've got to give everything you have away. You've got to give all your money away. You can't be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven. That's not the point. The point here was not this man's money. The point was his heart. So what Jesus was doing, by the way, does Jesus ever give any, did ever, do you see any evidence in scripture of Jesus, Jesus, I can't talk right now, sorry. Do you see any evidence in Scripture of Jesus ever giving that instruction to anyone else? No, just this man. And he's going through the checklist knowing that he's about to touch the thing in his heart that this young man will not give up. The issue is not the money, the issue is his heart. The issue is that this young man has something in his heart that he will not surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It just happened to be money for this young man. Maybe for you, it's, well, have you not murdered anybody? Have you not cussed this week? Have you stopped looking at Facebook and comparing yourself to everybody else? Oh, hang on, Jesus. <laughs> hang on. I went away sad because I had a really good post last week that was better than my neighbors, you know. Doesn't matter. It's the unsurrendered area of your heart that Jesus will always put his finger on because he knows anything in your heart left unsurrendered will always seek to control the rest of your heart. It doesn't matter what it is. I have a right to be offended by what happened. Didn't you see what they did? I was wronged. And he goes, forgive them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. <laughs> and you did? Forgive them. You see, it's any area of our heart that's left unsurrendered. We'll always seek to control the rest of our hearts. It will define your life. The thing left unsurrendered in your, heart, in your heart will define your life. 
But when you surrender it and lay it at his feet, you empty yourself of yourself and leave room for him to fill you with himself. He will fill you with his spirit. But if you have that area of your heart that's left unsurrendered, he can't fully fill you. This young man had done all the things, all the things, but Jesus located the one area he couldn't let go of, and it cost him everything. This young ruler walked away from eternal life for money. He was willing to give up what he couldn't lose in order to hang on to something that he could never keep. I've seen some really amazing, expensive caskets. What's the point? No matter how much you have, you're going to lose it anyway. I've seen some really famous, popular people, and they all get the same end. We're all going to end up in a grave somewhere with our mortal bodies. Jesus wants our heart, and he wants all of it. When you empty yourself, that's what worship is. Worship is not just God send. It's God. That's why that song, that song we sung, I forgot the lyrics to the chorus, but it's like, God, I give you all of me. Worship is all of me so that I can receive all of him. What this young man never knew is that Man, the, heaven, the Bible says in Revelation 21 that heaven's streets are paved with gold. Have you heard that before? This dude's driveway would have been worth more than whatever he had at that point in time anyway. What's God putting his finger on in your heart? God wants our hearts. He doesn't want our wallets. I want you to understand that. It's our hearts that he wants. But a, fu- a fully surrendered heart, cheerfully, freely, and generously gives. It really is. There's another story I want to read from Luke chapter 16. We'll finish this up in a second. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus tells another story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came and the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. Let me ask this question. Why did the rich man end up in hell? Did he end up there just because he didn't give his 10%? Was the accountant of heaven going, you got the nine and a half, but you're half cent short, half percent short, sorry buddy, you're going to the other place. No. This guy walked past Lazarus every day. I didn't even notice. Didn't even notice. Tell me that that doesn't register as an unsurrendered heart. 
He had the means to help, but he didn't. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because his whole focus on earth was the good things that the world can provide. And he walked past Lazarus every day. He did not have the heart of Jesus because he'd not surrendered his own heart. When it comes to our giving, it's really reflected in condition of our own heart. This story says that even the dogs licked Lazarus' sores. When a dog has more compassion than you do, maybe it's time to, for a little bit of reflection. <laughs> even the dogs notice, and we're trying to make his sores better. Listen, you don't go to heaven just by tithing. And I don't believe you go to hell if you don't. I don't think either one of those are biblical. What sent this rich man to hell was his unrepentant heart reflected in his apathy towards his fellow man. Again, like this rich young ruler, it just revealed an area of his heart where his focus, his focus was on the money rather than on the need. I don't want to end up like that. I don't want to have so much of a focus on my own money that I can walk past need every day and do nothing about it. So probably the question you guys are all thinking is, well, what do we think about tithing here in Seashore Church? <laughs> Does the tithe still apply today? Isn't tithing Old Testament law that was done away with, right, in the New Testament context? A tithe is 10% of everything you earn belongs to God, right? It comes from Leviticus chapter 27, which was part of the law of the Old Testament. It said a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. God's instruction to his people was a tenth of everything you earn, everything you get, is dedicated to the Lord. The fact is, the Bible says the earth is the Lord and everything is the Lord's and everything that's in it. So God says, I want you to give 10% back to me even though I own all of it. That was in the law. But don't we believe today that because of the cross of Jesus, the law has been done away with because it was fulfilled in Jesus? That's a good question. Well, this thing, there's this thing in the Bible called the principle of first mentions, meaning that whenever something is mentioned first in the Bible, it establishes the precedent for how it's going to happen in the future. And the precedence for the tithe happens when this mysterious figure shows up to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14 by the name of Melchizedek. I'm not going to get way into this, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background to kind of bring you into the present day. So in this story, Lot and Abram were, were uh, Lot was Abram's nephew. Lot got into trouble, long story why he got into trouble, but he got attacked and all of his stuff got stolen. Abram comes to his rescue, rescues Lot, gets rid of all the bad guys, and they end up with all this massive plunder, Okay. Then this guy named Melchizedek shows up, just randomly shows up on the scene. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Salem is also Jerusalem. So the king and priest of Jerusalem comes and shows himself to Abraham. This is a type of Jesus, referred to later on in the New Testament. Okay? He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Melchizedek didn't ask for a tenth. 
This was before the law. This happened before Leviticus. So this principle of first mentions of someone giving a tenth to the priest, to the house of God, giving to God predates the law. So if you were to ask me, if the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus, then tithing no longer applies. Well, what do you have to say about Melchizedek? Because the principle of tithing predated the law. It came before it. So it's not just about the law. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, commends the Pharisees for giving a tenth of everything they have to God. But he rebukes them for rejecting the weightier matters of the law of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Same principle, right? Hey, you give a tenth. That's great. You should. But there are weightier matters of the law. God cares more about why you give than he cares about what you give. So even Jesus commended. But does it still apply today? Does the tithe still apply today? Here's my answer to that. You're asking the wrong question. Listen, all my life, I've been, I've tithed since the day, when did you start giving me an allowance? How old was I when I got an allowance? About 10 since I was 10 years old, my parents would give me probably 10 bucks, I don't know what it was, and they would teach me, one dollar of this belongs to God. They tithe, they exampled to me, and taught me how to do the same. And from that day, I have always been someone who tithes, because I believe in the principle of that, and it was exampled to me. But if I'm asking myself, is the tithe for today, it's easy to go, well, yeah, I've always done it, it's just what we do. But that's not the way God wants us to live, is it? And it's easy for me to look at the law and go, well, Jesus fulfilled the law. But it's the wrong question. And I think the standard today is two things. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each, do we have that? 2 Corinthians 9, 7? It's on there somewhere. I gave her like 95 verses because I wasn't sure where I was going with this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, I know that it's easy to read that verse and go, sweet, I got an out. I got 10 bucks, I'm going to give God 10 bucks. Here you go, God. Here's your tip. I saw a church sign recently on a church uh, out in Pungo that said, don't give God what's left, give God what's right. It's like, ooh, that's good. I like that one. I can read this as an out. I can give what I decided in my heart to give. Well, I've decided that a couple of bucks here and there is Okay. Let me tell you how, what it did in me when I read this scripture. If I get to decide in my heart what I want to give, then doesn't the standard increase? Am I a 10 percenter? Like, is that where I'm, is that really where my heart is? Is I've done my religious duty, I've done the example that I've always followed. Is it 10 percent? Maybe the problem is, is that I've been looking for a number. I'm a numbers guy. I'm looking for a percentage, and I'm doing the math. Maybe instead, God just wanted me to stop counting 
and start giving everything I have to Him. And if I've already given all of my finances over to Him, saying, you are the Lord of my finances as well, then I would think that maybe my giving would be a reflection of that decision. Meaning that when I'm giving to God, I'm not sweating my mortgage. I know this is a difficult message for some. I'm not going to give you a percentage if you're looking for one. That's between you and the Lord. And if between you and the Lord, God says 0% is okay, do what God says, but understand God speaks through His Word as well. Because I know there's people in our church that are facing potentially leaving their jobs because of decisions that are being made right now about what you have to do and don't have to do. I know that some people are saying, I'm taking a stand in regards to mandates, and I'm willing to leave my career as a result of that. And we stand with you and hold your hands up. In fact, we've provided some legal documentation for you on ilovethechurch.com if you're looking for something to bring an employer as to why you are not going to do certain mandates. We'll help you with that. If you decide to do it, that's between you and God. No one's going to condemn you for that either. But if you want help, we're going to help you as best we can. But I know there's people that are choosing to walk away, and now we're talking about giving. The only reason I'm talking about this is because God told me to, and he hasn't told me to shut up yet, so I'm going to keep going. (laughs) I'm not asking you this. I'm telling you what the Lord asked me this. Do I have a 10% heart? That's what I felt God asking me. If you're looking for a standard in a New Testament context, it's Jesus. Jesus is the standard when it comes to our giving. I love this. Do you know what Peter said in that story, the rich young ruler? (laughs) You ever have to think about You ever read stories and put yourself in that position of the person either asking the question or hearing the question? When they heard that Jesus told this rich young ruler to sell everything he has and follow him, Peter goes, we have left everything to follow you. What then will they be for us? Can you imagine Jesus? You've left everything? Do you know my address? Do you know where I came from? But Peter, tell us more about all the things you gave up to be here with us. I want to hear about it. Come here. Tell tell me how hard it was to leave all those fish. You remember the night when you fished all night and got nothing? It's hard to leave nothing. I get it. But that's not how the night ended, was it? How did the night... Remind me again how... Oh, that's right. You caught more fish than you ever had in your life. Why did you do that? Because you heard my words and you did what I said. But tell me more about the things you left. I wish Jesus was more like me, but he's not. Uh, Uh, I don't. I really don't. I really don't wish you were more like me. I'm glad you're like you, and I want to be like you. I do not want you to be like me by any means. (laughs) 
the one asking this rich man to give all of his money had left heaven to be with them. He was about to go to the cross. He was about to go to hell and rescue those who had been waiting for him. You looking for a standard? He's it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus didn't come down and write books and, and just give lots of great instructions. He gave himself. He is the standard. And if it's all of him, it's got to be all of me. <laughs> I'm not just giving myself and hoping it works out. I have an example to follow of someone who truly gave everything for me. And I can follow in his example when it comes to my giving. When it comes to my giving into church, I have an example to follow. And when I realize that God's looking for cheerful givers, not fearful givers, I better give my 10%. God's not going to... He's looking for cheerful givers. Because cheerful givers understand that when I surrender everything I have to Him, I'm in a really, really good place. So, a couple of quick bullet points for you to take home. Watch the video. Look them up yourself. Giving is a heart decision. It's not a financial one. You know, you'll never have enough money to have kids. You'll never have enough money to give either. I got bills coming up. Yeah, I know. But trust God. I already said giving is an act of worship. Another thing, we give to God not to the church. I just want to support the church. No, giving is actually giving to God. It's through the local church. And if you're trying to figure out, well, where do I tithe? I don't care. But it's got to be kingdom. I don't care if you tithe the seashore church or if you tithe to the church down the road. I don't care. This is not a money-raising thing. Giving is not a way of God raising money. It's a way of God raising His kids. I don't care. This is not an appeal to give here. We kind of don't. I trust God that he'll provide and he'll speak to those who feel like they're supposed to. Me personally, I gave to whatever church I was a part of when I was a part of that church. But it might be different for you. But it's to God. Malachi 3.8 says, not, doesn't say, will a, will a man rob Seashore Church? Yeah, you rob Seashore Church because you gave to the church down the road. It says, no, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. And he says, well, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? Giving is to God, not just to the church. Okay? Here's another thing. God gives us both the desire and the means to give. In Jeremiah 31, he says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts. That means not just tablets of stone. We've got to do what I say. I'm going to write my law on your hearts. That means God not only gives us the rules to follow, he gives us the desire to do them. Boy, it's a whole lot easier when you have the motivation to do it rather than just trying to get the motivation within yourself. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He provides seed to the seed eater. Nope. Sorry. He provides seed to the seed hoarder. Nope. He provides seed to the sower. 
and bread for food. So he'll give you the money to sow, and he'll give you what you need for your food. Okay? Another thing, there is often a gap between the desire and the completion. You ever notice that? In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells them that last year you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. It's often i found that I've got all the desire in the world, but somehow when it comes to stroking that check, getting on the app, I just, it gets lost somewhere. Have you ever had a time when you've been a couple of months and all of a sudden you realize I haven't given and you're like, oh my gosh. I've done that when I just got, I just got busy and it's like, oh my gosh. But I've always caught up to it when I, when I realized that. There's a gap between the desire and the completion. I'm just saying that's human nature that happens. Giving is a proving ground. 2 Corinthians 9.13 Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. It's a proving ground. You're not proving to anybody else, but it's proving to yourself money doesn't have my heart. Giving is proportional. So is receiving. 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For the, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what, God does, to what one does not have. Giving is proportional. So whatever you have, that's what God wants us to give. He's not asking you to write a check for a million dollars when you got $12 in your checking accounts. God just wants you to be a good steward of what He's actually given you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. 6. Whoever sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Here's what I want you to get. God is not looking for your money. He's looking for your heart. There's something about human nature that allows the abundance or the lack of money to grip our heart. It's the same spirit. The Bible refers to it as mammon, either the desire for more, the fear of losing what we have, or the lack of what we have. It's the same God that gets worshipped when we hold on to that thing. God's called us to be worshipers, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I'm not saying that if you start tithing and only do that, that massive blessings going to fall on your life. I'm not giving you a tithe-free guarantee. I'm saying God wants your heart. And this is one aspect that we're going to spend one week on this week encouraging you that whatever it is the Holy Spirit puts His finger on in your heart to surrender to Him, do it. If it's giving, if you've had this hang-up all of your life with this giving thing, you've had a hang-up all of your life. Don't let an unsurrendered area of your heart define your life. It will. But give it over to Him. Todd, your word this morning, wherever Todd went, Todd's word this morning was just say yes, just say yes, just say yes. Maybe this is the yes God's looking for. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.